0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Galatians, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Before we get into our text, let me read you something that I received. You you guys know that I'm a Big illustration collection person. I received this and I thought, you know, this is really good. I got to read this to the church. So listen at this. It says, my parents told me about Mr. Common Sense early in my life and told me I would do well to call on him when making decisions. It seems Mr. Common Sense is always around in my early years, but less and less as time goes by. Today, I read his obituary. Please join me for a moment of silence and remembrance for Common Sense had served us all so well for so many generations. Today, we mourn the passing of a beloved old friend, Common Sense, who has been with us for many years. No one knows for sure how old he was since his birth records were long lost in bureaucratic red tape. He will be remembered as having cultivated such valuable lessons as knowing when to come out of the rain when the early bird, why the early bird catches the worm, and life isn't always fair, and maybe it is my fault. Common sense live by simple, sound financial policies, don't spend more than you earn, and reliable parenting strategies. Adults, not children, are in charge. Can you say amen, saints? His health began to deteriorate rapidly well, when well-intentioned but overbearing regulations were set in place. Reports of a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for for kissing a classmate, teens suspended from school for using mouthwash after lunch, and a teacher fired for reprimanding an unruly student only worsened his condition. Common sense lost ground when parents attacked teachers for doing the job they themselves failed to do in disciplining their unruly children. It declined even further when schools were required to get parental consent to administer aspirin, sun lotion, or sticky plaster to a student but could not inform the parents when a student became pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. Common sense lost his will to live as churches became businesses and criminals received better treatment than their victims. Common sense took a beating when you couldn't legally defend yourself from a burglar in your own home and the burglar could sue you and for assault. Common sense finally gave up the world to live after a woman finally realized that a steaming cup of coffee was hot. <laughs> she spilled a little in her lap and was promptly awarded a huge settlement. Common sense was preceded in death by his parents, truth and trust, his wife, discretion, his daughter, responsibility, and his son, reason. He survived by three, he survived by three stepbrothers. I know my rights, someone else is to blame, and I'm a victim. Galatians. So here we are in the book of Galatians, and Paul is trying to get these Galatian believers to exercise some common sense and not to go back under the law. You see, these guys named the Judaizers, and by the way, you will not find the word Judaizers in the Bible. It really is kind of a theological, technical term that we use for these men who were coming behind Paul's ministry and trying to seduce people, uh, Christians specifically, to go back under the law. That Jesus Christ was enough. That yes, you needed to believe in Jesus. Yes, you needed to. Look, a Judaizer would not argue with you about that. Do you need to believe in Jesus to be saved? Absolutely. Do you need to believe in the blood of Jesus that saves you from your sin? Absolutely. The Judaizers would then add to the grace of God and say, yes, you need to believe in these things, but you also need to believe and practice the laws of Moses. And you also need to be circumcised. So don't you get it? Are you listening? These Judaizers were adding to the grace of God. Don't you remember I gave you the formula? Please don't forget it. Grace plus nothing equals salvation. Can you clap your hands and say amen? All right? And after you clap your hands, write it down. Grace plus Zippo. Nada, nothing, honey, equals salvation. You cannot add to the grace of God. These Judaizers were coming in adding to the grace of God. And Paul says, listen, use your common sense. It just makes sense. Galatians chapter three, verse one. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has seduced you? Who has deceived you that you should so soon be removed from this gospel that was so clearly presented to you? What's wrong with you people? That's Rodney 1-1. What's wrong with y'all? Why would you go back? It doesn't make sense. Now, if you were with us last week, don't you remember, were you with us last week? Just by show of hands. How many were with us last week? Good. That's probably maybe 80% of you. Last week, we were talking about, as I told you, this section that we're in is very doctrinal, very dense. Stay with me. It's very doctrinal. It's a very dense portion of Scripture, of the book of Galatians, as Paul had taken us back and looked at 2,000 years of Old Testament history, as Paul was making the point that no man was ever justified by the law and was always justified by faith because God had made a covenant of promise. Remember we talked about the covenant of promise with Abraham versus the covenant of the law with Moses. And God has justified men by faith because he made a promise to Abraham that all who believe are spiritual children of believing Abraham. And just because the law, Paul said last week, just because the law came after the promise doesn't nullify the promise. And this promise to Abraham is not only to his seeds, his descendants, but also to the seed seed. Singular, which is one, and that would be Christ, and we are all heirs of that promise. Are you happy? You should be. Now, remember, I told you every time we gather together, I'm going to kill you with this outline. Here we have the outline of the book of Galatians. It's very simple, it's very simple, very Good for you to know it so that you can understand what the entire book is about. Chapters 1 and 2, here's your outline in case you missed it. Paul describes his experience with the grace of God. And then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul describes his doctrine in regard to the grace of God. And then finally in chapters 5 and 6, Paul describes the application of the grace of God. If you don't have it written down, write it down now. Chapters 1 and 2. His experience with the grace of God, we've already dealt with that. And we are currently in chapter 3 and 4. As I told you, very doctrinal, very dense, as Paul tells us about his doctrine in regard to the grace of God. And then finally, Paul describes the application of the grace of God to our lives. I told you, each of these sermons in all six chapters will be titled, Grace-Filled Freedom. Now, last week, in the interest of time... I fail to give you, and I want you to write these down, four blessings that belong to us as we put our faith in Christ. We've been talking about believing and talking about faith. Well, Paul points out four blessings that belong to us as we put our faith in Christ. If you're taking notes, you'll find in chapter 3, verse 26, Paul tells us, in Christ, we are sons of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. In Christ, we are sons and daughters. Don't want to lead the ladies out. In Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. And then, secondly, you'll find in verse 27 of chapter 3, you are in Christ, you are covered by Christ, and you have put on Christ. So we're sons of God. We're blessed. We're in Christ. We put on Christ. We are blessed. And then in verse 28, we are all one in Christ. Can I get an amen? In verse 28, you will find that. And then finally, fourth blessing, we are co-heirs with Christ. You'll find that in verse 29. Well, this morning, Paul is going to continue to talk about that relationship that we have in Christ as we pick up Galatians chapter 4, we pick up in verse 1. Saints, if you're looking at it, can you say a hearty amen? Amen. Some of y'all didn't say it. If you're looking at verse 1, say amen. amen. Now I say, Paul says, that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4 is a memory verse, so much so Would you read it with me in verse 4? But when the fullness of time had come, I can't hear you. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And listen, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, and it causes you to cry out, what, somebody help me? Abba, Father. Therefore, when you see the word therefore, you want to find out what it's? Therefore. Therefore, after saying all that, you are no longer a slave, don't you get it? But you're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then, indeed, in verse 8, when you did not know God, You serve those which by nature are not God's, but now after you have known God, or Paul says, you know, you say something, then you want to kind of correct yourself, and you say, I I mean this, that's what he said, this is what he's doing here, but now after you have known God, or rather I should say are known by God, how is it that you turn away to the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul says, I am afraid of you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Here we have Paul the Apostle. The analogy that he is using is something, listen, give me your attention, look at me. It's something that every Jew and every Greek that is reading this could clearly understand. Because the Jews and the Greeks, listen, they had what we call like a coming of age ceremony in their culture. You know, most cultures, as a matter of fact, on the planet, they have a coming of age ceremony. At a certain point, you, you, have, a, you have a party or you have a ceremony, you have a service, or you have some point of recognition that you have come of age some people in some cultures today, they have what we call a rite of passage. Perhaps you've heard of that. But that's not most of mainstream America. Most Americans now, we don't have a coming of age uh, in our culture. I mean, we kind of think of it like when you're 16, you kind of kind of, actually when you get 13, you enter 13. But when you're 16, that's kind of really big, you know. But we don't have a ceremony over it. Generally, people like, hey, what'd you do when you turned 16? Man, we got drunk, man. Dude, rock on, bro. It's like, is that what you did for your coming of age? Yeah, man, rock, rock. That's what we do in this culture. But in most cultures, they actually have a ceremony. They have a time where they recognize that that age, that coming of age. You know, I read this report. I thought it was interesting. A statistic even reported that in America, get this, you are not ready to assume the adult responsibilities until you're 28 years old. Isn't that interesting? And think about that comment and then think about this one. In over half the world today, 17-year-olds are already carrying automatic weapons issued to them by the military. Go to many cultures. And if you're in the military, you have military experience, you know what I'm saying is true. Go to Israel today. Walk in the old city, walk in the new city. Walk near the temple. You will see 17-year-olds carrying automatic weapons. They got on jeans, T-shirt, sneakers. The girl has their purse. The guy has his man purse. And they got an automatic weapon. In most cultures today. Now to the Jew, listen, their coming of age ceremony to the Jew, somebody help me, is known as a what? A bar mitzvah, very good. And a bar mitzvah takes place at the age of 13 when you become a son. That is at that time that, that you're considered to be accountable to the law of God on your own. It's actually 13 for boys and 12 for girls. I think they call that a bar mitzvah. So for girls, it's like 12 years old. For boys, it's 13 years old, which tells us, I hate to admit it, but girls are more mature than boys. Okay, fine. Did anybody ask you for a hand clap, ma'am? <laughs> every service that happened, every single girls were like, Yes <laughs> looking at their husband, that's what <laughs> <laughs> every service that happened today. So for boys it's thirteen, for girls. It's 12, and it was like a, kind of like a rite of passage when you turn from a kid to an adult. And it's at this age that you were expected to be able to get this. At 13 years old, boys were expected to be able to read the law and expound on the law in the Jewish culture, a bar mitzvah. Now, to the Romans, listen, the Roman culture, there was no specific age. It was when the father thought that the boy was ready or the time was right. A Roman child became an adult at the sacred family festival known as the Liberalia that was held every year in March. And at this time, the child was formally adopted by the father and then formally acknowledged as a son, and he received a toga virilis in place of a toga protecta, which he had worn. There was a Roman culture in that day that a boy would then, as a father determined whatever age that was in Rome, that he determined that that boy had come of age, it would be at that time that his clothes would be changed. He would also be, the boy would give his ball, the ball that he played with, he would give his ball to the parent or the girl would give her doll to the parent. And that would be indicative of the fact that they are putting away childish things. So if you were to ask a legalist or a religious Jewish person, when is that point of maturity or when is that point of coming of age? Are y'all listening? Or when is that point of coming of age? A legalist or someone religious would tell you, you have come of age when you are keeping the laws of Moses and that you have become circumcised. That's when you've become of age. Now, what I want to know is, how do you know when somebody became circumcised? I mean, what do you do? You walk up to them and you I mean you ask them. I mean you go you walk up to the bus stop. Hey man. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah. You circumcised? <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's like, I mean, but you know, for me, somebody go work, you saw none of Nanya. your business. You know, are you circumcised? Yeah, I'm circumcised. Prove it. Woo! <laughs> I mean, how do you know? But to the Jewish person, <laughs> but to the Jewish person, this was the point in which you became mature. And Paul, listen, would say to them, the keeping of a set of rules, the keeping of a set of of regulations and rituals isn't going to move you forward in maturity. It's actually going to move you backward. Do you understand? And the keeping of the laws of Moses is putting people in bondage like a child who is under guardianship until an appointed time. Paul says in verse 3, the Galatians were like little children in bondage to the elements of this world. Now, what does he mean by that? Listen, you can write this in your margin, the ABCs, or you could write the basic principles of the law. The ABCs spoke of the law. The law was like the ABCs, the standard for living in relationship to God. Like a child needs to constantly be told what to do and what not to do. A child needs constant supervision and instruction. Those that, 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 that were living under the law, that's the role the law played. The law was a source of constant supervision. And you were held in bondage to it under its instruction. And Paul's point is this, being under the law and legalism is not a step toward maturity, it's a step back into childhood. The law was not God's final revelation, it was the preparation for the final revelation in Christ, don't you get it? A life that is led by the Spirit. Spirit. And that is why in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, he goes on to talk about the application of the grace of God. And he goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. See, the law was supposed to point you to Christ. And being pointed to Christ was supposed to then move you on to walk in the Spirit. If you understand so far, please say amen. amen. You're supposed to walk in the Spirit. And it's supposed to lead you to a life that is filled with the Spirit, not the law. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent in verse 4 His Son. Now, saints, listen to me close. This is very, very interesting because if you read the book of Daniel, and you, some of you know, some time ago we talked through the book of Daniel here on Wednesday night, and if you read the book of Daniel... You can see this, the flow of civilization. For you Bible students and you history buffs, you know, we had the Babylonian Empire. And from the Babylonian Empire, we came to what? The Medo-Persian Empire. And from the Medo-Persian Empire, we came to what? The Grecian Empire, you know that. And from the Grecian Empire, we came to what? The Roman Empire, you got it. And as Rome comes, and we're talking about the fullness of time. Are you with me? Stay with me. We're talking about the fullness of time. With the Roman Empire comes the Greek language. And the Greek language was brought to the world, and it filled the Mediterranean. The Romans started to bring order, and wars began to come to an end. And the Romans had cleared the Mediterranean Sea, and the sea lanes were open. And by this time, get it, the Romans had established, get this, 50,000 miles of paved road with street lights. They were like oil lamps, 50,000 miles. And you could travel and language was in place so that the gospel could travel over Rome, over the sea waves into Gentile territories, and the Bible says that Christ came in the fullness of time. What I want you to see here is that there is a spiritual implication here, and there is also a practical implication here. The practical implication is that the world was practically, physically ready for Christ to come. And God used the Romans toward that end. If you're with me, say, Pastor, I'm with you. That's practical. In the fullness of time is also spiritual. In that the world had sunk into moral abyss. So low that even pagans cried out against it. Spiritual hunger was everywhere where the world was in need of a savior. And God had promised for 4,000 years that the Messiah would come. If you're taking notes, write this down. Zechariah 9.9, it tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just And he's having salvation. He's lowly and riding on a horse. Zechariah 9.9. Daniel chapter 9. You might want to write that down. Prophesied, get this, the very day that Christ would come riding into Jerusalem. That's fascinating.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina.